Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Women of Golf Show. I'm Ted Oderico, and joining me is LPJ professional Cindy Miller, and we are your hosts. We're broadcasting live every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern here on the blogtalkradio.com network, bringing you some of the best golfers, teacher professionals, and entrepreneurs helping to elevate women's golf. We're so glad you decided to join us this morning, so grab your coffee and let's get started. All right, good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Women of Golf. I'm Ted Odorico, and right alongside each and every week is none other than Legends Tour player and LPGA professional, Cindy Miller, and we are your hosts here on the Women of Golf. Good morning, Cindy. Good morning. How are you today? <laughs> I am doing, <laughs> I'm doing fantastic. I'm doing even better now. How's that? Uh, beautiful sunny it's day here where I am. It's a beautiful day. Uh, Me too. <laughs> I know. I just, you know, we just need that sunshine, I think, to, to get the day starting. And uh, it's just been a beautiful morning so far. Uh, it's been a little hot and muggy here where I am uh, in the south for the last few days, but I'm not going to complain. And uh, just just good overall, so I can't complain. All right, we're excited to be here. Um, we've got a couple of great things coming up this morning. Uh, first and foremost, of course, we're going to be starting off with another um, episode, if you will, of the No BS Zone. We'll talk about that here in just a moment and a little bit later on we're going to be joined by our very special guest Gina Umek. Uh, she is an LPJ member as well as the head women's golf coach uh, for California State University uh, in Northbridge and she'll be joining us a little bit later on in the show so we're very very excited to to have her uh, join us um, but just a quick reminder that Women of Golf is brought to you by iGolfSports.com and Golf Tips Magazine. iGolf Sports is a live stream uh, broadcast and media production company providing top quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, offering insightful reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top PGA and LPGA teacher professionals, all designed to help improve your game from tee to green. So subscribe today at golftipsmag.com. All right, Cindy. There's a lot of, um, I guess, confusion not so much within the industry but outside is um what's the difference or some of the differences between a golf teacher versus a golf coach we're going to talk about some of the differences and some of the similarities and then when gina comes on because she is a golf coach um some of the points we're going to cover here today and hopefully we'll get through most of them or if not all of them um, we'll ask her maybe a few questions there and, and get her perspective as well. I thought it would be a good opportunity to have this conversation uh, since we're having a golf coach on the show. So uh, uh, are there similarities between a teacher and a coach? Uh, there certainly are. And, and here's a few. Uh, just sort of the definition, if you will, teaching. A teacher obviously teaches, but so does a coach. Uh, a golf coach has to know how to be able to fix swing problems and impart technical instruction. Uh, like a teacher, a coach has to know the rules and etiquette of the game and and uh, be able to teach uh, them to their players. So when you think of teaching, do you consider yourself um, a teacher? Do you consider yourself, or maybe a little of both? What's your, your, perce- uh, your a perspective? Little excuse me. Okay. A little both. So when do you consider yourself a teacher? Give us maybe an example of, of when you feel that you're kind of in your teaching mode and when you're in coaching mode so that people understand the difference. If someone comes in for a half hour lesson or a, they want to change their game and they want to break a hundred or 90 or 80 or 70, <clears throat> you evaluate the swing to see what uh, challenges or issues they might have that are preventing mm-hmm. them from reaching their goal so when you teach them something, it's making a change in their swing, their thoughts, their pre-shot routine, their course management skills, their decision-making. And once they know how to do that, your role would switch to coaching, which might be more playing lessons, utilization of the skills you just taught them. 
if you will. So coaching is mm-hmm. helping them along. Teaching them is giving them new information, in my opinion. What do you think? Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. Um, you know, you're, you're, all, you're really actually teaching in both um, in, in a lot of respects. But, no, you're exactly right. I mean, teaching, you, you're, you're covering specific areas um, that maybe they're struggling with and you're trying to provide them with solutions. Coaching is you're taking that information um, and you're helping them with their game sort of improve as they go along, and you're doing it over, you know, techn- uh, typically a longer period of time. Teaching could be something be as quick as a, as a quick lesson, like you said, a 30-minute lesson, um, maybe even a couple of lessons. Coaching is when you're actually putting together a specific program to help them get the best out of their game, and again, usually typically over a long period of time. For instance, we see a lot of our tour players uh, over the years will have a coach, um, they don't have a teaching professional. They may have started with a teaching professional, but typically they lock and load with a, a coach because they want them to be basically cover all aspects of the game and be able to help them along and pinpoint areas that they may be struggling with still, um, but they're not actually teaching them necessarily new things. They're just in, enhancing the talents that they already have and helping to bring them to the surface. So uh, great point, uh, Cindy. I think that's uh, well said. Another area I think that both certainly do have, and that is motivating. Uh, Certainly teachers want to motivate uh, their new students particularly uh, to encourage them to be able to to get out there and uh, and do their best. Uh, And as I mentioned, coaches do that as well. They're trying to find the best and and pull that out of uh, their uh, students that they're working with, Uh, particularly if they're a tour player or not. They want to continually motivate because, as you know, Cindy, when you're out on, on tour, uh, you can get down some sometimes, right? When you're not playing your best, you, you get into a kind of a funk, and and uh, it, it's not always easy sometimes to bring yourself out. So um, you've worked, I know, with with uh, you know players of, of different levels as well, and you've had to motivate them, right? You do. Um, I have a little bit of an issue here. So again, I, I think you might encourage. I don't know that you can physically motivate them to do something they don't want to do, but yes, you know, uplift, fire them up, inspire, change the thoughts, but, you know, come on, come on, come on. No, I, you know, I'm not going to, no, can't push a wet noodle, but sometimes you have to give them (laughs) tough love. And and you know, what's funny. We had a young girl Mm -hmm. who went to play in her first HJGA or HJGT tournament, Hurricane Junior Tour. And I said, you know, I need you to go do this and and know that you're going to be scared to death and you're probably going to shoot a million and be totally embarrassed and nobody needs to know you were there except me and your parents. She did. She played terrible. She shot 90-86. And she came back and, and she said, oh, my God, I was really, I was nervous. And the last nine holes were finally better and so we did a playing lesson last Friday and Alan was questioning her and said okay so why does the ball do this and why does the ball do that and she kind of didn't answer and didn't know and he said you know for you to be able to adapt and change while you're out there you need to you know not overreact to the shot you just hit you need to get your mind about you and say okay why what just happened? What did I do there? And so he said, you know, that's what makes a good player. No one hits it good all the time. Right. And I'll be darned if she didn't go out yesterday and shoot one over par and shot 74 and won a tournament. I mean, what a difference. 90-86 and then 74. <laughs> I'm like, well, hi. How are you? So, yeah. <laughs> so if that's this? motivation, yeah. So if that's motivation, then yes, we do. I think it's it's um I think it's helping them get over the emotional trauma maybe you know of oh yeah. I'm trying so well, hard and here, not getting here, what I want and go ahead. Right. Well, here here's another example. Yeah, here's another example. So there are times when a golfer whether or not they compete that they don't want to give the effort necessary to improve. Um and and this is sometimes where, and again, you can you can word it as encouragement and you know motivating is sort of an, an all-encompassing word, I guess. But um, but but that's 
a good example that you just gave that sometimes, you know, they're out there, they're just not, you know, all cylinders aren't firing. And sometimes they just need those words of encouragement. And they just need, you know, it just have to be, it has to be tough love. Sometimes it doesn't have to be all, uh, you know, sunshine and roses and, and that sometimes it has to be that tough love. And sometimes you have to get right in there and say, Hey, you know, what's going on here? You know, you wrote last week and you're just not, you know, it just doesn't look like you're, you're pulling things together. And I know you can do it, and 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 uh, you know I know you've got the skills. We we we've worked on a number of different issues, and then you know you've all of a sudden you come out, and it's just like who the heck is this? And sometimes it just takes that little spark, and then the next thing you know, they're as you said, they're shooting one over par. So you know sometimes you know motivation I think can take on different forms, but in a sense that's really what you're doing I think in a lot of ways. Another area that sort of falls into suit in that. Um, Cindy is is a positive attitude. One of the long-standing credos for teachers is always to carry a positive attitude when teaching. Which, going to your point, I know is not always easy. Sometimes it's frustrating as a teacher, uh, and also it applies to coaches as well. Um, and and we've seen that sometimes not so much from the coaches, but we've seen that from the support st- uh, system uh, parents. You know, we've talked about this, um, where you know parents actually create a negative environment. You've, you've experienced that many, many times over the years when you're working with a student or, or um, whatnot, and, you know, the parents on the sideline, and they're, you know, what are you doing? And, you know, come on, smarten up and whatnot. And you're sitting there thinking, well, this is not helping, right? Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, it's managing expectations, you know. Yes, you have to be positive, but I think it's, there's so much pressure put on kids to perform that they really aren't even having fun doing it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I, I think, you know, there, you have to have a positive attitude, but you also have to have realistic expectations. So, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, I agree. Um, so those are just some of the um, similarities. Um, so let's look at some of the differences and, you know, some of the differences are, for an example, competition, uh, competition, excuse me. Uh, this of course is probably the biggest difference. Coaches prepare players, as you mentioned, uh, for team or individual competition. Well, teachers, again, are mainly involved in teaching and refining technique. So, you know, again, you know, as you mentioned, Cindy, and I'll let you, you know, clarify anything, you know, you've got students that come into you. And say, hey, I'm I'm struggling with this area, or this is happening, or I don't feel good about this. And you're then assessing that particular issue or other issues that may be related, and not really offering a fix, but offering an alternate solution to be able to overcome some of those difficulties. Whereas a coach is actually preparing them, getting them ready for tournament play or some other uh, individual competition. So. Talk about that you, a little bit. You know, you, you've had a number of different students over the years that you've worked with, young and old, where, you know, they, they come in for the Band-Aid fix. And then you've had others that may still struggle in areas, but understand the general basics of what you're trying to express to them. And now it's just a matter of nurturing them along in order to be able to be competitive. Talk a little bit about both. Um, well, a Band-Aid fix would be a a lesson. So that would be a teaching situation, mm-hmm. I believe. A coach, a long-term process coach with a player development program would would be there for all aspects of the game. So I believe that you would change from, you know, intertwine your skills from teaching to coaching. Like, okay, now we're getting ready to play. There's a difference. Now we have to learn to use the skills we've learned to be able to go play around the golf. So that, in my opinion, is what's so different. Um, I do a lot of quick fix-its. In fact, I call myself the 30-minute quick fix-it queen. Um, but if you wanted long-term process and, and change, then you're going to have teaching and coaching. Don't you agree? Right. And, and you're exactly right. Sometimes you can have a combination of both. I mean, there's there's situations where um, you've got to get in there. Sometimes, for instance, you know, you might get a player out on tour who is really struggling with an area and 
you know, you, you can't necessarily coach that along. Sometimes there's specific things they're doing wrong. Um, and, you know, maybe they've got the old chicken wing suddenly happening or they've got something else, which I know doesn't happen that often. But, you know, they, they will fall into a pattern. And it's really up to a coach to be able to identify some of the issues. That's why quite often you will see, uh, you know, particularly many of the top coaches that will follow their students. They don't necessarily always travel with them. But they're at a, you know, at a, at a fingertip phone call or Zoom call now, I guess, um, in many cases. And they're watching their students, and they'll see when they're having difficulties in a tournament. They're there to give them feedback, and they'll certainly certain things they can very with a couple of words can can correct. And then other times it becomes a teachable moment. They're saying, "Look, you know, uh, I've noticed you're doing a lot of this, and you're 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 coming over the top again, or you're doing this." And remember what we talked about. So you're referencing certain drills and certain techniques that we've talked about earlier on in your career that are creeping back in for some reason. So that could be an issue. It could be pressure. It could be all kinds of things. You know as well as yourself, and you get out there in the heat of the moment, and sometimes if the pressure mounts too much, uh, suddenly bad habits start to creep in, and it's not always easy. And it sometimes takes that trained eye to do that. So a coach has to be prepared, I think, to, to flick the hat, turn the hat around, if you will, and become a teaching professional more uh, in certain situations. Would you agree? I would totally agree. So, again, oh. it would be interesting to do, um, you know, a survey, if you will, to mm-hmm. some, of the, some of the teachers or coaches, whatever you want to call them, out on tour. You know, like Mark Blackburn teaches a lot of tour players. Mm-hmm. and right. um, David Ledbetter, you know. So uh, are you a coach or are you a teacher? Because David Ledbetter is a swing coach, right? But is he, right. yeah. you know, is he, a, is he helping them with their swing or is he helping them with their mental game? You know, and most of these people on tour have, you know, someone for short game and someone for their head and someone mm-hmm. for their nutrition and someone for their fitness and someone for their swing and someone for their putting. And so it's like, you know, and that's why they call my team. Um, so I guess if if you, you know, it's funny because we took some pictures last night, and the and the young man is a good player, and he's a photographer, and he said, so what do you guys do? And and my husband and I, you know, both played on tour. For those of the listeners who don't know, and and Allen's the second purest ball striker Dave Pels has ever tested. So. Alan is a golf swing technician. So mm-hmm. if you, I say to people, he's smarter than me. I'm more fun. He thinks really <laughs> deeply. Uh, he's a deep thinker. And um, I'm more of the head game. Let's, right. you know, the, the motivator, the inspirer, if you will. So it's funny because, you know, are we both mental coaches? Yes. You know, do we both do swing coaching? Yes. Do we do putting? Yes. We do all of it. But what's the expertise? Probably him, golf swing, and me, head game and producing, if you will. Well, yeah, Alan, I I would say from my perspective, just from, um, you know, having him on the show a number of times, is he's more of a technical person. He looks at the swing from a technical aspect um, where you're looking at it from more uh, emotional and, and um, from a, a mind or, or mental approach. And how do, you, how do you handle you know, your mind with difficult situations? How do you overcome uh, some of the mental challenges and, and personalities? So it, it's a good balance, and, and it works well and can be very effective because – it's very difficult. I don't care whether you're considered to be the number one coach, you know, in golf or what have you. It's very difficult to be good at all aspects. You can have general knowledge, but you tend to specialize in one area, I think. Um, and I think this is one of the problems that we see, unfortunately, sometimes in golf instruction is um, people try to be um, everything and all to everybody. And you just can't do that. You have to find what your niche is and you found yours and Alan has found his and together you create a much more complete package. That's why you work very well together when you're doing your boot camps and other uh, training opportunities is you're able to, to draw from each other's uh, specific talents 
and pool those resources together to give your students an, uh, an overall well-rounded uh, perspective of the game. Because if, if it's just one or the other, um, that's good, but sometimes you need both or more uh, to be able to accomplish that. So that's uh, something to, to really, for people out there, especially in our industry, to think about because you know you, you can't try to be, as I said, everything to everybody. Um, you've got to sort of find your niche in the game. And uh, whether it's the short game or, or whether it's a specific area of the game, I think that's better. Um, we won't get a lot into this one here because there's, there's all kinds of things. But this is technology. And I think, you know, uh, when it comes to that, a coach generally needs to make uh, a wider use of ne- to- uh, technology than a necessary teacher. Um, for example, TrackMan and FlightScope are launch monitors used by many club fitters, but also competitive golfers seek out these devices so that they can uh, truly know exactly what they're doing in terms of ball flight and club action throughout impact so as an example you know uh, many coaches rely very heavily on some of this technology um, with their students so they can see that uh, um, you know are the numbers changing are they consistent are they improving to the level that they want them to improve Uh, teachers pardon me sometimes will use the technology but again because you're maybe dealing with a, a, a shorter um, time frame with some of the students. In this case, you're not really coaching them. You're just um, ascertaining certain issues. You might use this technology, but you're using it predominantly in a different way. So I know that you um, use some technology as well. Do you, you kind of see it that way, or, or am I you know, maybe not uh, accurate in, in my analogy? But don't you agree? I think that as a teacher, you certainly may rely on some technology to give you pinpoint information that you can use to help uh, do that, whereas teaching, or rather coaching, it's a more longer and progressive uh, um, relationship with technology. What do you think? Um, I think you would use technology to get a point across. You know, you would videotape mm-hmm. someone and show them uh, what they're doing, what you want them to do so they can understand it. And um, But I think you would also use it like blast motion, you know, I've got mm-hmm. a young girl who's been deselling. I said, hey, have you been practicing with your blast? Oh, no, I forgot. You know, I'm like, well, let's get this puppy out and start working with it. So um, I believe that, you know, it depends on the coach and the teacher what they like to use. But um, I use video, flight scope, blast motion. Uh, and it would the coaching right. aspect of it would be ongoing, you know, like oh yeah, I forgot, I I need to go pull that tool out and start using it. So right, yeah, and and you know there's there's other things, you know, quite often teachers will use different training aids, um, you know, in in their approach, which is again not really technology, uh, in the in the sense of of um, you know plugging it in or turning the batteries or what have you on. But um, so there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of differences. There can be really some crossover, I think, between the two um, for sure. But I think, again, as you pointed out in the beginning, I think with teaching uh, students, you're, you're again, you're, you're not really so much. It's, it's a Band-Aid fix, but it's a, it's a quicker approach to the analysis, if you will. And it's not necessarily a long-going relationship, the same, uh, again, depending on the circumstances, uh, as it typically would be with a coaching uh, coaching tends to be longer uh, relationships. Um, most people are coming to teach professionals because they're struggling with their game. And once they overcome some of the challenges, they more often not will then sort of not necessarily stop altogether, but maybe it's just a, an occasional tune-up as needed. Or maybe the beginning of a season, they'll come with their, you know, get together with their teaching pro and say, hey, I need, you know, a few lessons to tune up for the season. And then they kind of drift off a little bit and do their own thing. Whereas coaching, again, if they're wanting to be highly competitive, then they tend to want to have somebody around um, not necessarily at their beck and call, but um, more available, if you will, um, when certain uh, situations arise that they need help with. And, and you know, coaches also need to understand the mental side of the game a little bit better. And this sort of falls into the last one as well, is playing experience. A coach needs to have uh, been in competitive uh, arena himself or herself in order to be an effective coach. There are certain things that only competitive player would know, such as how pressure affects the swing, you know, how to fix a swing or create a go-to shot when things go wrong. So, uh, and also maybe how to manage uh, emotional aspects of competing. So um, there's a lot of different things where a coach now steps in when you're dealing in competition, but a more effective coach, and that's not saying it's impossible, 
But if you're not a competitive or have not been a competitive player yourself, it's very difficult to be able to understand what your player is going through. Would you agree with that? And maybe you can touch on some points. Um, well, Lynn Marriott never played on tour of PN Lynn mm-hmm. Vision 54. So, uh, and David Ledbetter was not a great player, and neither was Mark Blackburn. And, you know, I can go over and over and over with a bunch of people that really never played very well but are considered great coaches. So I don't know that I agree with that. I believe personally that you should have been, you know, Mm. I want to look to someone who was better than me, who did what I want to do. Um, So I would prefer to be with someone who's been where I want to go and has experienced it. But I don't believe that everyone that's considered a great coach has been a great player. Right. Right. And, you know, the the thing is that what we want to really get across here is, is that's not to say that a, that a teacher who has not played competitive um, wouldn't necessarily make, you know, an ineffective coach. Um, but it certainly helps, as you suggest. Obviously, um, there, are, uh, there are certainly advantages. I think if somebody, you know, like our, our guest this morning, Gina, who um, played some uh, competitive golf on the Symmetra Tour. And um, so she understands the, the various pressures that, uh, you know, one would find. And so is a bit, I think, better able to articulate to, um, you know, the players on her team, um, maybe a little better than somebody um, who hasn't played competitive golf. Now, that's not to say, as, as you know, we're suggesting that you can't do it, um, but it certainly makes, I think, life a little bit easier um, to understand, it's it's kind of like, uh, you know, if you are somebody um, who has never, you know, been a race car driver, uh, but you drive kind of fast on the highway, that doesn't mean that you're going to be a good race car driver um, because you don't necessarily have the experience. Uh, you you might be a little heavy, lead footed on the, on the freeway, but that doesn't make mean that you know if you were in driving a Formula One car that you're going to be going around or so. I mean, th- that's what I'm saying is you might have some experience driving relatively fast, but there are, are things when you're actually in that competitive things that you need to know because there are other people obviously that can affect that. So I know that's not the greatest analogy, but that's the best I could come up with on, on short notice. So, but uh, great conversation, Cindy. I think you know I think we covered a lot of things. There are certainly some differences and and obviously some similarities between uh, a teacher professional and a coach. Um, and just, I think things for, for people to think of, I think when you're, you know, as a student, if you're looking for certain things particular, um, I think you need to have a general understanding of what, what some of the differences are when you're seeking a professional to work with. Um, if you're just wanting to, you know, deal with specific things of your game, um, then, you know, looking for a a good, um, qualified teacher professional is maybe what you need. If you're, uh, maybe a youngster who's considering, a, a college, um, uh, you know, uh, career or competitive career, um, and hopefully, you know, progressing into to the next level, then obviously you're going to be wanting to, to seek out a coach who can help nurture that, that relationship along. So um, good conversation, and thank you, as always, Cindy, for a lot of great input. Um, we're going to move on to our special guest, uh, Gina Umek. Um, she is a LPJ member and college golf coach at California State University Northbridge in Los Angeles. Uh, the Redlands uh, California native played uh, collegiate golf at UCLA, uh, where her Bruin uh, team won the Pac-10 regional and national championship in 2004, along with uh, one other conference and regional title in her four years with the Bruins. Uh, she earned her uh, Bachelor of Arts degree in Spanish from UCLA in 2005 and also uh, as a minor in Korean language. Uh, post-college, uh, she went on to play professionally, as I mentioned, for a number of years, five years, in fact, with the uh, LPGA Symmetra Tour and played in the 2008 U.S. Women's Open. Uh, she then uh, was an instructor at Wilshire Country Club and uh, Aroma Golf Academy, uh, both in Los Angeles, where she offered instruction in Korean and English to junior amateur players and uh, their members. Uh, Cindy, let's welcome our very special guest this morning, Gina Umek. Good morning. Hi, Cindy. Ted, how are you? We're doing I'm doing great. very well, thank Gina. You welcome. Thank you so much. Yes, thank Thanks you very much. Thanks for having me. Um, Cindy, Can go you ahead. guys uh, hear me okay? Perfect. 
Very well. Cindy, go ahead. Great. So, Gina, tell us the difference between teaching and coaching. And since you're a college coach, how do you flip back and forth and wear all the hats you need to wear? Yeah, sure. I was uh, listening in about five minutes ago. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting, the uh, experience factor. Um, we've all seen, I think, great instructors who may have not, you know, ascended to uh, a really high playing level. Um, and I think, I think where I stand on it is, if you have that experience, if you have played, you've got a little bit extra buy-in initially, I think, with a student. Um, you have that buy-in where, you know, what you're saying kind of inherently has the value. I think if you don't have that experience, it doesn't mean you can't be a great coach at all. Um, I think you just have a little bit more proving of yourself to do, so to say, Um I mean, I've seen great instructors who haven't played at high levels. Fantastic. Better than me. Um, and I think that that's kind of where I I land on the, the issue. I think you can be great, but you just kind of, you got to have a track record that's established in, um, you know, producing and cultivating players of your own um, that, you know, kind of proves itself. So, um, you know, and it's also interesting being a college coach. You know, I do have to wear a lot of hats. I have to make that choice as to whether or not I jump in. Uh, If I see something going on with a player's swing or if I just let them kind of iron it out on their own. Um, I certainly want to be equipped to be able to jump in and – you know, they call it the Wednesday 4 p.m. club on tour where you're searching for a swing on Wednesday at 4 o'clock. <laughs> and um, we have that in college, oh, y'all. God. We are not exempt, right? I mean, I remember days when that was happening to me. And, um, you know, we've got that going on, too. So um, my big thing is I want to be equipped and ready if uh, the student comes to me and, hey, coach, what's going on? You know, I need something. We've all been there, right? We've all been there. So, um, you know, I think having having the knowledge, that's why I'm an LPGA member, um, having the knowledge ready is is probably the best thing I can do for my kids. I agree. Uh, yeah, I agree as well. Definitely, um, definitely something that you need to have. Um, Cindy, you want to go ahead, or or do you want me to? Yeah, how many how many uh, players do you have on your team? Um, it, it varies every year, obviously, with recruiting. But um, I've had anywhere from uh, six, seven. I'm going to have nine this coming year. Um, that's pretty normal. I kind of like eight. I like eight on the roster. Um, it kind of keeps it competitive at home when you go to tournaments. And at the same time, it doesn't kind of create two teams, you know, where you kind of form the home team and then the travel team. So um, eight's a pretty good number, so, Cindy. Do you um, – how many full rides do you get? Um, we are not fully funded. The uh, the NC2A Max is six for women's golf, Division One. Um, you know, all your power five conferences have six scholarships. I don't, I have more in the neighborhood of three and a half. So, um, that's on the low end, honestly, for my conference, my conference is starting to really climb up there in the big West and, um, I'm lagging behind by almost two. So, um, to our point here, I've got my work cut out for me in developing players you know, I have to do so more. So let me less. ask you this: um, Yeah, when you say fully funded, just so I understand, do you have to go raise that money? Um, I can. Like, like I, if somebody I, gave you three more full rides or two and a half more full rides, you would be fully funded and everything would be great. Yes. Probably, yeah, it would be better than it is now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. Okay. But that's like, ay, 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 lots of work. Yeah, that's not something that I individually would try to kind of embark on. Um, I'll fundraise, but what I'm fundraising for is like, you know, that extra shirt we're going to buy or, um, you know, that trip we might go on, that spring break trip. You know, me fundraising for full-on scholarships, it's just not, it's not part of my role really. To That's like a major, that's really more of a development role. Okay. So, cool. Yeah. Ted, go ahead. So, Gina, let me ask you, um, when it comes to attitude of players, I want to give you a scenario, and I'm curious to see how you particularly would handle this. So let's say you have two of your players. One is more proficient with their golf game. In other words, they're a very accomplished player, um, but their attitude stinks. Negative, mm-hmm. very self-centered. And you have a player who um, maybe doesn't quite always make the grade, um, decent player, obviously well enough to make mm-hmm. the team, um, but has an extremely uh, positive, self-motivating. Um, how do you handle each of those students? And do you do you revert back? I mean, obviously, you know, you want to win competitions and that, so obviously – one strength would be that better player, um, but sometimes that self-centered, and I know every team sees it, um, or negative attitude, if you will, at times, um, because they are self-centered, can be actually detrimental to your team. How do you handle those two scenarios? How do you handle those two players? Sure, Ted. Um, I think that this wouldn't be so much of an incidental thing as much as it is woven into my culture. Um, I just, I I so firmly believe that um, the only thing we can control is our attitude. You know, the Mm -hmm. only thing you can control are your choices about how you're going to approach a shot. uh, Your choices about course management, your choices, you can't control anything else you can't control how you're feeling that day you can't control what your competitors are doing can't control the wind the bounces you get whatever um so really woven into my culture is very heavily too is um the power of choosing the right attitude to espouse Mm -hmm. and all of the the changes and the good things you're going to see when you just make that switch. Um, Certainly, um, you know, the player who, who's, you know, I guess less picked a dodgeball, but gosh darn, she tries her best every time out there. I mean, that person always sort of tugs on our heartstrings as coaches. Um, And uh, I really don't make sacrifices in terms of, well, this player's really going to make, like, throw a number out there. I, I really, um, you know, I leave everything up to qualifying and numbers. You know, they go out there, they right. take it out. Um, we play four rounds, you know, and then that, whoever's low um, goes to the tournament. So I'm not really making those choices per se. But, um right. You know, you just kind of preach things every day, and if you do have a player that's negative, you really um, you you really hope that uh, things start to sink in if it's what your culture is about. So, let me ask do you, you. Do you can think though? Question. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Cindy. Um, let me just. Do you really go by the numbers, no matter what? Yeah, in qualifying, um, I have yeah. them play, you know, sometimes we don't have time for four rounds, but play three rounds before a tournament. Um, you know, literally, we add the numbers up in the low five. If you earned it, you go, right? If you earned it Good to go into the tournament, you go. I've had experience with different coaching styles and different, um, you know, certainly there are coaches who purely pick. There's, I know several of them. Um, for me, when I've seen that, um, I don't feel like it really fosters a culture, uh, the culture I'm looking for. It sort of fosters more of a culture of, of, you know, um, 
pleasing the coach. I mean, that's just what I've seen. There are people who have success with it. Um, I know Andrea Gaston, who was at USC for a number of years, she's now at Texas A&M, somebody I highly respect. Um, she does a lot of picking. And um, it kind of depends on the person, you know. I don't want to be that person who picks anyway. You know, I don't want to have somebody in my office every single week and explaining why I picked. It's just, it seems like, you know, I can circumvent a lot of that. And I truly believe if you play your way into the lineup, you know, you should go. And it's my responsibility to get, you know, a large enough sample qualifying two rounds, right, where anybody can just career it and sneak in there. It's my responsibility to get an accurate, like a a large enough sample to where they can um, fairly, you know, duke it out, so to say. Good for you. Ted, go ahead. Um, Gina, let me go back to um, being competitive again. You you played on, on the tour as well, and Obviously, you know what it's like, as you, you said, trying to find your swing on Wednesday at 4 o'clock. Um, so you've had your share of, of, of up, and I like that. I, I'm still laughing inside about that. I think it's very, very true, but very humorous. So let me – I'm going to sort of pick your mind from your playing career and and how you implement it now in your coaching. So when you're in – in a, in a playing mode, when you were in a playing mode, obviously everything didn't always go your way. Sometimes you hit fantastic rounds. Sometimes it just, you know, you, mm-hmm. you couldn't get it done. Um, what did it say to you? And now that you're a coach, what do you draw from that experience that you now sort of, again, I know you're going by the numbers primarily, but you obviously have to bring in certain elements of your own experience uh, into teaching um, so that these young ladies that are that are sort of up and coming and 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 uh, you know post tournament play, shall we say, or pre tournament play um, in a professional level, um, what do you do? How do you handle um, based on what you know um, things that they're going to be faced with when they're out there and um, playing for the team? If you understand what I mean. Yeah. Can you be just a little more specific? Sure. I'm, yeah, um, Cindy, I'm asking yeah, that all the okay. time. Yeah, it's okay. I think so. I understand. <laughs> It's okay. I think I understand well, just, what you're saying. How do I use my experience? Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically, basically, when when you're, you know, drawing from your your past experience when you're playing professionally, sure. um, you know, you knew what to expect after you know maybe the first season or two because you know the first year you're kind of just trying to find your way, but after a couple of years under your belt, you say, okay, okay, now I get it. You found a rhythm and you're getting into it and that. Um, do you sure. do things with your students, with your players to help them find their ry- rhythm? And if so, what? Yeah. Um, you know, the main thing that really stands out to me, Ted, is, um, you know, I teach a lot of, I teach a lot of mental game that was huge in my experience. And like you said, that's all we can draw on. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I teach a lot right. out of Pia and Lynn's books. Uh, Vision 54 stuff. Uh, We go really heavy on mental game. Um, What I've noticed, though, in the last couple years that um, is sort of a technicality, but that I feel like I have to teach are the ball flight laws, quite honestly. Um, Mm -hmm. Players, I mean, players on the PGA Tour don't really know the ball flight laws. They do now more that TrackMan's been out for a while, but um, you know, we do kind of some contingency planning where, oh my gosh, I am snap hooking it. You know, I don't want my girls being those, those players who have no idea why that's happening. Um, I want them to be educated on the ball flight laws. They don't need to be thinking about their swing. I don't want them to be thinking about their swing on the course, but, um, I want them to know why the ball is curving the way that it is. And um, most players don't know why that happens or they have a misinterpretation of the ball flight laws regarding the face to path relationship and um, they can't ever figure it out because they don't have the right information. So um, to answer your question, um, I was really heavy in the mental game when I was a player, not surprising that I I really um, push it as a coach, Um, but also the information that I wish I had um, having to do with just the simple ball flight laws. Um, 
you know, Andy Plummer mm-hmm. did a, a study on the PGA Tour. This was, I think, in 2006. And um, he asked, um, you know, a handful of PGA Tour players, quite a few, and I think there were like 75% who did not know the ball flight laws. So they thought that the yep. uh, initial direction of the ball was, was res- the path was responsible for the direction of the ball, the initial direction, and then the face was responsible for like the curve. Um, so if PGA Tour players are struggling with that, I, I think it's fair to say a number of years later that college players are too. So, um, yeah. yeah, I try to get, get them educated on stuff like that. Yeah, I, I think that's that's spot on um, because there's there, you're you're limited really in, in a lot of ways, and I think that when they when you understand what the ball and, and Cindy talks about this a lot of times too with with you know the club face and and direction and so forth, and I think once a player understands how the ball is going to react under different situations, um, pertaining to uh, again ball flight laws, I think it's easier for them to adapt and make changes. You know, not necessarily out in tournament, but um, with their game overall, and you're right, it's surprising how many tour players have no idea um, or have very limited right. um, understanding of ball flight laws. So, yeah, if at, at, at the highest level of, of the LPGA and PGA tours, if they're not really getting it, it's it's you know, um, in fact, probably some of the college players probably have a better understanding than some of the tour players did. But uh, yeah, that's interesting. Cindy, go ahead. What do you love best about coaching? Uh, that's hard to pick, Cindy. Um, uh, I think the non-golf part. I think the mentoring and um, seeing somebody grow, um, life skills. Uh, I have a player currently on my roster who has really run the gamut. You know, she walked onto the program, struggled her first year academically, struggled to crack into the lineup, um, and she grew and grew and grew and evolved and evolved. And um, last year, she almost won the conference championship. She got straight A's um, for a number of semesters now. Um, Seeing somebody's growth, you know, and I think – Cindy, that's probably big for all of us teachers is, uh, you know, watching somebody grow and change and get it. Um, I think that's what I like the best. So here's what I am hearing from you. And, And I never, I never stopped to think about this until you just said this. So when you stop playing, it, when you play, it's all about you. You are your mm-hmm. only inventory. It's all about, you know, what am I eating? What am I working out? What am I practicing? What am I shooting? Where do I have to go? I, 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 I. And then mm-hmm. um, you have to shift states, and it's not about you anymore. It's about them. And yeah. And I never thought about that until I just heard you say that. That's so profound. But how giving you are, I mean, so am I, but I never stopped and thought about it. It's like, oh, wow. So (laughs) kudos to you. I mean, when, how did you decide not to play anymore? What happened? And, And how did you go from playing and everything's all about Gina and now it's not about Gina. It's about helping others grow. When did that happen? Sure, sure. Yeah, um, about five years into playing, um, honestly, things were just getting expensive. You know, um, you kind of want to settle a little bit. You know, I've traveled incessantly for five years. Um, So I wanted, you know, I wanted to have a steady income. (laughs) I wanted to... um, (laughs) I wanted to still be involved in golf. Um, it's really, it's hard to make it out there, obviously. You know, we're preaching to the choir, but um, mm-hmm. I loved it. I did, but um, it wasn't, um, it wasn't getting everything done at age 28 or 29 that I wanted to get done. <laughs> um, so, 
it, 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 I guess it was a shift, Cindy. Um, although I've always enjoyed helping others and teaching, my dad's a teacher. So um, I think it's sort of, you know, in, interwoven in who I am anyway. But, um, but yeah, watching someone's growth is, you know, one of the most rewarding things. And, awesome. um, yeah. Good job. Ted, go ahead. Very good. Um, so let's, in our in our final moments, let's go back a little bit um, to the beginning and, and why golf for you? Um, you know, we, we know that golf, mm-hmm. unlike many of the other sports, isn't something that we get introduced to in the school system um, early on. Uh, in, in most cases until we get to either high school or obviously collegiate. So it's not something like many of our other sports that we, we play at, you know, recess or what have you. So mm-hmm. how did you get into golf? How did you get introduced to golf first and foremost? And when was the moment that you decided this is, this is something I want to be more involved with. I want to play, I want to be competitive and so on and so forth. And and obviously we know where you are now and, and why you made that switch. How did you get started? Sure, sure, sure. Um, my parents played. Uh, I played all sports, though. I was really, I was just a tomboy. Um, and uh, I think what ended up happening is, uh, you know, I played soccer. I'd get injured a lot. Um, I was smaller, but I was quick. But, you, you know, you just get injured. Uh, I think golf really just fit my personality, Quite honestly, I'm I'm an introvert that tends to surprise people, but um, I'm very much an introvert. Um, I'm very cerebral. Um, it uh, I just kind of connect with what the sport is, um, and you know I kind of whittled down the sports that I was playing. Eventually, in high school, you can't really do everything at a high level. Um, if you want to pursue a college scholarship. So I, uh, you know, I kind of whittled down what I was interested in and, um, you know, golf was that thing. I was really fortunate to have parents who, uh, very, who sacrificed a lot for me to, to be able to do it. You know, it's uh, playing the AJGA and you're basically playing on tour before you go on tour. And, you know, it's uh Right. traveling everywhere, flying everywhere at age 15. Um, you know, what a tremendous opportunity I had. And, um, you know, the, without that, I, I just wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been able to go to college and play um, at such mm-hmm. a high level. So, um, you know, it's, uh, you, you do a lot of growing up at a young age and, um you know, my parents' support really is what uh, what did it for me. You know, we I was born in Redlands. I uh, grew up in Redlands. My parents are still in the area. So um, a lot of access, right? I didn't have to play golf six months out right. of the year. I know, Cindy, you're from New York. That, that uh, you know, I, I was lucky to have golf all year round. So, um, you know, just kind of loved it from the beginning just the nature of the sport and, um, you know, the, uh, the fact that it's a game for a lifetime. Mm -hmm. Let me, um, let me ask one final question. And that is, um, when you look back on all aspects of your exposure to golf, um, I'm a firm believer that, that, um, golf and life in general parallel each other in many ways. I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned not only on the lesson T, but in mm-hmm. life. If you could think of one particular, is there a particular life lesson that you take away from your golf experience thus far? Is there one thing that you can think of that you've learned about life in general while playing? Sure, yeah. Um, I would say there are two things. Uh, one is grit. Um, mm-hmm. Grit meaning passion and perseverance and how much that matters versus talent. There's a, um, there's a fascination with talent, you know, this innate ability to play golf or, you know, 
someone was touched by the hand of God and they're just this amazing player, you know, born mm-hmm. that way kind of thing. And I've learned and um, researched a lot and um, watched players who have that innate ability. I've watched players mm-hmm. who are gritty. And um, Angela Duckworth wrote a book called Grit. It came out, I think, three years ago, two or three years ago. And uh, it really shows you and hammers home the point of how much perseverance uh, weighs in against talent, against the talented player who gives up easily or, um, Mm -hmm. you know, just doesn't uh, continue for whatever reason. So I think to answer that question, Ted, uh, I've learned so much about grit and how much perseverance matters. Um, The second thing is um, how whatever is inside of you is going to manifest outside of you. Okay, so I guess we can call Mm -hmm. that attitude or outlook. Um, But whatever, um, you know, thoughts and feelings and, you know, whatever's going on in the internal world is going to come out in the external world, right? You can't be Mm -hmm. fuming inside and then expect, you know, these beautiful, graceful outcomes. It's just, um, I think, taking ownership of your, um, your kind of internal world and your attitude. So um, those are the two big ones for me. Very interesting. That's great. I love that. Um, Cindy, any any final thoughts or questions that you have for Gina, and then we'll wrap up? No, I'm just so grateful you were here today. What a what a gem you are! Oh, thanks for Those having girls me. Should I should be very it. grateful to have you as a coach. <laughs> well, I appreciate thank that. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you, um, Gina, for your time this morning, and and. Um, we look forward to, even though we've we've all had a late start this season, um, we look forward to hopefully yeah. a, a much better uh, ending. And, and, and what's the current status, just very quickly, and then we have to go, what's the current status right now with things in, in California as far as with, with this current pandemic? What, what's this, the schedule? I know there's been talk of, of um, in some cases, potentially a, a much later start or, or not starting the season sure. at all as far as uh, school. What What's the... What's the current status? Do you know? It's all over the map, Ted. It is literally all over the place. Uh, different counties are different. Um, I know UCLA was asked to redo their fall with driving only, um, driving only to tournaments, that is. Uh, we have no idea, Ted. The only consensus we come to is uh, if football plays, well, we need football to play. We need Mm -hmm. football to play. Even schools that don't have football, we need the NC2A funding. We need March Madness to happen. Um, You'll see Mm -hmm. a lot of uh, universities closing their doors if if it doesn't happen. You know, they're so reliant on the revenue from football. I think $7 million is lost for every Pac-12 game that's not played. So, um, you know, the health and safety is number one. Absolutely. Sure. No doubt. But, um, yeah, we, we need football to go um, in order for us to really be guaranteed to have a sport. So. <clears throat> well, we will um, keep everyone in our thoughts and prayers as we, we all navigate this. And we know that, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of times it's not always in our, our hands. It's in a, a greater power than sure. ours. So we'll have to hopefully um, – yeah imagine that uh, things will come through. But Gina, I agree with Cindy. Thank you very much for spending time with us this morning. It's been a pleasure and um, you're Thank certainly you. welcome to come back uh, any time and and uh, and good luck uh, this season. Hopefully everything will work out and uh, good luck with the team. Thanks so much, Ted. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right. Good luck. All right. Bye-bye. All right. That was our special guest, uh, Gina Umek. Um, head women's golf coach at uh, California State University in Northbridge in Los Angeles. Um, definitely uh, a very uh, interesting uh, perspective to the game. And uh, um, as we talked about earlier in our, our first segment, uh, she definitely 
draws from her experience on the Symmetra Tour. So much like you, who played uh, uh, much and still plays uh, on the Legends Tour, uh, competitive golf draws from that experience so she can help her students. So um, definitely a, a plus to have. And we want to thank you this morning. We hope uh, we've given you a little bit of clarification on the difference between a golf teacher professional and, and a golf coach and uh, some of the similarities as well. And we thank you for, for tuning in, and we look forward to having you join us next week on the Women of Golf. God bless everybody, and have a great um, holiday weekend. Happy Fourth of July for everybody. We won't see you until next week. So thank you. Thanks, Cindy. Thanks, Ted. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening this morning to the Women of Golf Show. Tune in live each week by visiting blogtalkradio.com forward slash women of golf or on any of these social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course Spotify. If you can't join us live, check out our on-demand section for previously aired broadcasts. To get updates for future shows and upcoming guests, you can follow us on Facebook at Women of Golf. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ted and Buck CEO and Cindy at Cindy Miller Golf. Please remember to join us next week on the Women of Golf Show. See you next time. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.